Let's open with a prayer. Dear Lord, our Heavenly Father, we worship you. We thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've given for us and to us, for all that you've done. We thank you, Lord, that you are our God and that we can worship you. And Lord, we pray for your presence with us here this morning. We pray that you reveal to us your word, your heart, your will, that you would open your word and that you would speak this morning. Lord, bless our time here together. Build your church, your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, amen. So these, uh, these last few weeks, I've really been pondering God's mercy. God's mercy in our lives. And I feel like with the, with the last few messages um, that, that we've had, that God is showing us, one of the things He's showing us is how much we need mercy. And it might seem like a very basic concept, but it's, I, I feel like it's one of the things we tend to forget that it's it's only by his mercy the mercy of the almighty god that we are here that we are that we are alive and that we're not eternally lost only by mercy and you know mercy is not it's not a word we use outside of a Scriptural context. I don't know of it anyway. Uh, I guess a judge could have can have mercy. A secular judge, when he's when he's giving a judgment, this is he can have a very merciful judgment. He can say uh, they have a bit of a code, a list of code of how they do, how they give out judgment, certain crimes, uh, they beget certain amount, certain sentences. Um, so and so many years, and a judge can be merciful or he can be harsh. So he can be very merciful, and to someone where the system recommends um, 10 years of prison time, he can be merciful and he can give four or six with parole or something like that, um, which, which often happens, it sometimes happens depending on the situation. So mercy, it's, it's not a word we use often. It's not like we live in the days of kings and lords. I guess we could say a sheriff, a, a cop, when he's pulling us over, he could have mercy on us for breaking the law and give us a warning instead of a ticket. But that's a little weak, though. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <clears throat> so one of the examples I have to... How we, how we tend to forget about mercy. We tend to uh, not remember. <clears throat> it's, I want to bring the, the picture of a child that's born to a rich family. A child who's never, say a boy, who's never felt hunger. He's never 
been cold or have need of anything. Compared to a poor, poor little boy who was, who's an orphan of a family that had nothing. And then hungry, cold, and forsaken, he gets adopted into a family that has everything they need. The poor child will appreciate and be thankful for everything. Much more than the child who's always had them. It's the norm for them. That child who's always had these things. But even this poor child, if he's, if he's in this family, for after a few weeks, months, years, he'll grow to expect all these things. And he'll also start taking them for granted. Just like we do. Just like everyone does. We get used to these things that we never... And, and if this child, if he not, if he not keep himself in check and remember, he will become presumptuous and unthankful. So mercy, <clears throat> mercy is, is simply having compassion or forgiveness. Is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it's within one's power to punish or harm. <clears throat> so it's, it's very simple. In, instead of someone receiving your just due, their just due, instead of getting what you really deserve, it's being forgiven. You're free to go. So there's, there's, quite, and there, there's quite a bit of overlap between forgiveness and, and mercy, but I don't want to get over into that. When we're talking about God's mercy, we're automatically talking about His forgiveness, about being forgiven. Because ultimately, that's how we receive God's mercy. We're forgiven the, the sins, the crime that we've committed. <clears throat> so we need mercy. I think we all know we need mercy. God's mercy is a good thing. But to actually realize in our heart that we need mercy, that, that I need God's mercy, I have to say for me it's been a bit of a journey. So I want to start with Matthew, uh, chap Matthew chapter 18 verse 23. To actually in our heart realize that we need, we need, we're at the mercy of God and we need His mercy. Um, and this is a parable that I've used quite a bit lately for some reason or another. Matthew chapter 18 verse 23. And I want to take one portion out of it. Uh, verses 23 to 27. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. A huge amount. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. 
And this is a, a perfect story of mercy. The man had nowhere to go. He had nowhere to turn to. He was in a corner. He needed mercy. Either that or 10,000 talents. <clears throat> but he needed, he was, he was at the mercy of this Lord. His time was up. The day of reckoning was here, and he who had nothing to pay. He was to be sold as a slave, and his wife and children also to be sold, to pay for the debt. That's a scary thought. That would bring any man to his knees. <clears throat> to think of your family being sold for the debt you owe. And he broke down and he begged for mercy. He begged his Lord to have patience and he would pay it. He would, I don't know how he was planning to do it, but he said he'll pay everything. And amazingly, the Lord forgave him everything. He had no reason except that he felt sorry for the man. According to the law, this man should have paid. He should have paid up. This was the right thing to do. The right thing to do was to sell him and his wife and his children and all that he had and pay for the debt. And yet the Lord, he had mercy on him. <clears throat> so the question I have <clears throat> is, do you see yourself as the man in the story? Do we need mercy? Have you ever cried out to God for mercy? Lord, have mercy. <clears throat> There's another parable I want to bring out of Luke 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 36, if you want to turn there. <clears throat> And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of, his, of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them, with the ointment. <clears throat> now when the Pharisee that which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have, would, <clears throat> would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon is the man's name. Simon, <clears throat> I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? So he gives him a simple story. Here's someone <clears throat> who... who who had two debtors and one owed him 500, let's say, dollars. Um, 
500 pence and the other 50 and the other owed him $50. And when they had nothing to pay, they couldn't pay. He just, he gave, he forgave them. He told them both, you don't have to pay. So simply to which of the two is, it, is this going to be a bigger deal? Who is going to appreciate this more? <clears throat> and Simon answered, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman <clears throat> and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet <clears throat> with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman... Since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil, this thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But unto whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. <clears throat> and they that sat at meat... With him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. So it's quite a story. <clears throat> Excuse me. <coughs> so this woman's sin, he says, This woman's sins, which are many, were forgiven, and she loved much. There was no underlying idea <clears throat> that she deserved to be forgiven. That she had done this or that to be forgiven. But you can see the brokenness in this woman's life. To kneel at Jesus' feet in tears, in brokenness, and humility and ask for mercy. So we can see this woman, it's, it's clear to see she was broken. And Jesus freely forgave her. But then there's the man who invited Jesus to his house. He loved having Jesus as a visitor. He loved being in his company. He made a feast for him and his disciples. He was a Pharisee. He was a spiritual leader. He looked good. His life was probably in order. Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. But to the Pharisee, he said in more or less words, you think you don't need mercy or forgiveness. <coughs> he said in another situation to the Pharisees, those that are whole, those that are healthy don't need a physician. But those that are sick. In other words, a doctor can't really help someone who thinks they're healthy. They won't take their advice. But he can help someone who's sick. So Jesus said, I didn't come to the, to the healthy. I came to the sick. And this was when he was tangling with the Pharisees. They were challenging about who he's associating with. That he's letting this woman touch him. 
And Jesus said, you're, you think you're healthy. I can't really help you. So the question is, do we need God's mercy? Are we like that woman or are we like that Pharisee? These Pharisees, they look good to the people around them. If you asked, if you walked up to one of the disciples and you asked them to point out in their circle during the time of Jesus, point out in their circle who they thought, who the godliest men were that they knew. They'd probably point to one of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they look, they look good to the people around them. But Jesus said unto them, you're whitewashed tombs. Outside you look great, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. Outside, the outside of the cup and the plate, it looks clean. The outside you clean and you make it all nice. But inside, it's filthy. And Jesus said to them, first clean the inside. And then he said, strange thing, then the outside will automatically be clean. <clears throat> so if we come to Christ, we can't really be helped if we don't see that we need help. If we can't see our need. Who's going to ask mercy, ask for mercy, if they don't think they need it? <clears throat> did these Pharisees that Jesus was sitting at a table with, did they need God's mercy? Of course. As much and probably more than the woman they were looking at with great disdain and, and irritation. God's mercy. For some reason, for some people, for some people in some situation, for this woman, it was hard for her to see why God would have mercy on her. For some people, it's hard to see that God would have mercy on them. Why would God care about me? But he does. He does care. Jesus loved this woman. And he forgave her. <clears throat> there is mercy if we ask for it. And for some people it's hard to see that they need mercy. And for me I generally see myself in that camp. Being able to see that we need mercy. For those who realize and receive God's mercy and forget and forgiveness. And then for those, the third point I want to touch on is for those who realize they and receive God's mercy and forgiveness. 
But then we forget that we continually need His mercy every day. And I think all these are points of danger. All these pose a threat at different stages of a person's life. God is merciful. He's merciful to those. He's, he's, a, he's a great and merciful God. To those that come to him in humility and brokenness. <clears throat> so one of the reasons um, I want to speak on mercy. I like what where, where mercy puts us. Um, it implies that we're receiving something that someone is receiving something that they didn't deserve. You know, we talk a lot about compassion and forgiveness. And it is forgiveness. In Christianity, God's mercy is forgiveness. But if we look at it like, it, it's, for me, it's really good. It's really helpful to look at it as God's mercy. To realize that it's, it's undeserved. It's not something he owes us. It's not something he has to give us. <clears throat> so when we stand before a holy and a righteous God, do we need mercy? Have we ever asked and prayed for mercy? Or are we covered? Maybe we're good. That's one point I want to touch on today. Is It's what Justin shared in the opening. I think sometimes we do think, we do have a once saved, always saved mentality. We've been there, we, we, we did all that, we got the t-shirt, we got the badge, and now we're good. Do we realize that we... We're at God's mercy. We need God's mercy in our life every day. Every time we go to God and we ask for forgiveness, Jesus told us to pray in this way. He told us to pray for forgiveness when He told His disciples to pray. And every time we come to God and we pray for forgiveness, we're asking Him for His mercy. Does that, does that make sense or is that too heavy? I mean, this subject doesn't make a good coffee table conversation. It's, it gets too close to home too fast. Um, you know, in, in our life, we get so accustomed to falling, to failing, to coming short of what and where God wants us to be. Um, we automatically start rationalizing it away and, and as normal and acceptable. The God, that God in His Word, he's, he's not so gracious. He calls it lukewarmness. And a lot of this message, I'll, I'll say, um, comes out of, is stemming out of the message that Brother Samuel had last week. And I'd highly recommend you, um, if you can, to to find it and listen to it again. 
It was a powerful message along these lines that we all tend to take the sin in our lives and excuse it away as a shortcoming, as a human frailty, as a fault, a slip-up, as family traits, even nerves, tired, bad days. Some of those excuses, yeah, maybe they do hold water. Um, but as long as, as we accept, as we, as we excuse things away and we accept them in our lives as normal, as this is what everybody's doing, so it must be okay um, and acceptable, we're deceiving ourselves. We can so easily come to a place of complacency and, and we simply compare ourselves with those around us and if we're kind of as good as all those around us or maybe a little bit better, then we must be fine. But what's God's calling on each of our individual lives? <clears throat> you know, when we compare ourselves with, with others, we, we can look pretty good. You know, I look really good if I compare myself to Adolf Hitler or some of these, you know, anyone. I can find people that make me look really good pretty easily. <clears throat> the world is full of them. I mean, I, I can walk down the street and find people to compare myself with that make me look good. I might look, look like a saint next to some people. But how do I look? How do we look when we're going to stand before the judge of all the earth? And that's the ultimate question. That's the great question. That's the one that matters. How we compare with everybody else... Um, yeah. And uh, you know, we, we play these mind games. And, and I really, I'm just recapping a little bit of the, what I got out of Samuel's message. Is we, we play these mind games of comparing ourselves among ourselves. We look at this tendency on this brother and we, we're like, oh, he does that. I, I don't do that. And we find something on this brother here. That, that where he's falling short and, okay, I'm better than him there. And after a while, we kind of have this little floating raft going where we find something in, everybody, in people around us where we're looking better and better. We think we look pretty good. It's just, it's normal human nature. I mean, I don't think, um, yeah, I, I think it's pretty normal. Maybe it's just me. I mean, for it really, it really spoke to me. The that no matter how big or how small a sin is, the man who steals ten who steals ten thousand dollars is just as guilty as the boy, is just as much a thief as the boy who steals one dollar. They're both thieves. And we, we kind of grade and evaluate sin by how much it, it hurts people, how much it... But at the end of the day, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
And if we honestly look at ourselves through Scripture, if we honestly look at each of our lives and compare ourselves through Scripture, we should see ourselves for the broken people that we are. And if we don't see that, we need to pray for light. All are lost, all are guilty, all are in need of mercy. You know, if, if we can't see that we need God's mercy and forgiveness, just like these Pharisees, then we're just like these Pharisees who had all the answers. They had nothing more to learn. They had the right doctrine. They had Moses' law from God. They were living it. They were walking it out. I would say the Pharisees of Jesus' time were more living out the law and practicing it than had ever been practiced throughout all of history. The prophets and the kings, they never quite really pulled it off. But these Pharisees, They followed it to the letter, to the T. And yet, they didn't recognize Christ. They didn't see Him. They didn't need forgiveness. They didn't need mercy. Because they hadn't done anything wrong. And yet Jesus said to them, You're children of the devil. They said, we're children of Abraham. What are you talking about? He said, if you were children of Abraham, you do the works of Abraham. And yet they didn't recognize that their heart was corrupt. In their heart, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill the son of God, of the God that they supposedly worship. And they didn't see it. They couldn't see it. They didn't need Christ. And if they looked at their lives, they looked so much better than everybody else. They prayed more. They did more holy things and good things. They gave more alms. They read more scripture. If we cannot see the need, if we can't see we need God's mercy and forgiveness, we need to ask God to show us who we really are. I want to go to John 1, 1 John 1 and take a few verses out of there. First John chapter 1, <clears throat> starting at verse 1. Now I'll start at verse 5, but I'll do a recap. So here in 1 John 1, first time, if you read it through quickly, it can look a little confusing. So first he says, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. But then, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But then if we confess our sins, He he forgives us. But then if we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar. And then in chapter 2, He says, He writes these things that we sin not. So there's there's sin in there, and there shouldn't be sin in there. And if there's sin in there, you're, you're not of God. And if, 
if, if you say there is no sin. So it's a little confusing. So if we look at it, so I'll start at, we'll start at chapter 5, 1 John 1, chapter 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So in God, there is no darkness. If we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So he's, he's making the point that God is light. If you're walking in darkness, you're, you're not of God. But if we walk in the light, if we seek after God, if we're honest and open and have fellowship one with another, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So if we're walking in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So verse 8. <clears throat> if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And later in John he says, um, those who are of him don't sin. And, but he's, he's making the point here that this is the critical starting point. For every man to come to the light. For some this is clear. For some it's hard to see. Depending on largely on how you grew up, how you're living, where you're at. But at the end of the day we all have the tendency to be deceived. It's it's basic human psychology, that we all, in our minds, we need to appease our conscience before we go to bed at night. They, they do these studies on these uh, uh, serial killers, and they find that they justify themselves in their mind, somewhere in their mind, they're justifying and they're, they're rationalizing that I did this, because I had to do it, or I did this, I was right to do it. And, and people justify themselves for the most heinous acts. And we're no different. Our mind, we'll, our flesh will automatically justify, justify itself and make itself look good. So we have to be honest, we have to be real and compare our lives and look at our lives through Scripture. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We all have some Pharisee in us, inside us. We all justify, justify ourselves. We all make ourselves look good by comparing ourselves to the actions of others. So that's the starting point. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So he's completing the point that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. If we confess, if we repent and confess, he forgives us our sins. And cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so anyone who's denying that, they're, that they sinned, that they have sinned, 
and that they still sometimes sin is deceived. <clears throat> if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in, not, not in us. He can and does forgive us if we forgive, if we confess our sins. But if we can't say we've sinned, he says we're calling God a liar. All have sinned. All continue to sin. But that's not the goal. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. God's heart for us is for us to walk free from sin. To be free from sin. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation. He's the atonement for our sins. And not, all, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, hath himself also to walk, even as he walked. So this life is a battle. And I say to you, I, I want to say here, if there's no struggle, we're probably deceived. We need to pray for light and revelation to see it. If there's no battle, we're probably deceived. It's a battle in God's eyes. It's so much a battle in God's eyes that he sent his son and gave him as a sacrifice in our place. He's got a lot of skin in the game. It's like I said, you know, we have, we have plenty to say about the doctrine of once saved, always saved. But then we might be living it. It's either this or the other. It was either all completed and all done and you have nothing to worry about or there is the rest of Scripture where there's all these letters, there's all the teachings of Christ where He exhorts us to walk deeper, to go deeper, to seek Him, to fight against the flesh, to engage in a battle. What is this battle? <clears throat> We look at our lives maybe like fixing up a car. We fix it and off we go. Fix it up nice, take out, replace all the parts that need replacing, and then we're good to go. No more worries. But our lives, they don't work that way. We're, we're, we live in a fallen world. We were dropped in a fallen world. There's the world, there's our flesh, and the devil, and all the demonic forces. That's constantly working against us from every angle. A true Christian life, the true Christian life is if we look at our lives honestly before God. <clears throat> and we strive to grow in brokenness and humility.
So I want to take my closing text out of Hebrews uh, chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Where he talks about coming before the throne of grace. And some people look at this verse, take this verse, and, and we've heard it quote a lot, come boldly before the throne of grace. And we take this verse and we apply it and we say, come, come, just come to God and tell him what you need. Tell him what you want. But that's not the attitude. If you listen, if you look at scripture, if you look at scripture, you, you feel if you look at these verses, you feel you feel a different spirit about them. And we should come before the throne with trepidation, with carefulness, with fear. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> Chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That's a little fearful, isn't it? All things are naked and open unto him, unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So before God's everything, before God, everything is clear, everything is open. There's no secrets. We can deceive ourselves and keep things hidden. <clears throat> so he goes on. Seeing then we have a great high priest. That pass into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly onto the throne of grace, that we may obtain great mercy, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He's talking about a fearful coming before God. Because if we truly recognize God for who He is, it's a fearful thing. If we truly recognize and see that we are at His mercy, that we received His mercy, as opposed to some sort of royalty that came into the court and were given a gift, here, take this. We were not that. Mankind is not that royalty. But mankind is the servant who came before the Lord with a debt they could not pay. That's not a good situation to be in. And he received mercy. And it's by his mercy That we're forgiven. 
And by his mercy, by his grace, we're not only forgiven, but he made us the sons, sons and daughters of him, joint heirs with Christ. And here he's saying that we have, we can, we can actually, we can actually with confidence, we, sh- we can boldly come before God because Christ's forgiveness, Christ's mercy is sufficient. It's good. He paid the price. We can come before him and boldly ask for help. Ask for him to help us. Obtain mercy and grace to help in a time of need. Grace is his grace is his providence, his his help, his his strength, his power to help us grow. So amen. May God give us the grace to walk humbly before him and those around us. As such who have received his mercy and love and compassion. Even when we never deserved it. When we deserve death and destruction, we received his mercy, his love and compassion. So amen. Thank you. And I'd like to open it up for sharing.